Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, January 2nd, 2013, and even though it's Tuesday, not Monday, we're doing a listener feedback show because it's my first show back after a very long break. I always shut down between Christmas and New Year's. This year with weekends, the way it worked out, it just felt really long, really cool. We had a, a blackout, um, a pretty gnarly blackout I'll tell you about later in the show today and some lessons that we learned, actually really just how we kind of skated through it like it wasn't there. But I'll tell you what was and what wasn't on store shelves four days into it, and that gives us a look into the mind of people who are not prepared, that run out and have to buy things at the last moment, or after the last moment in this case. And I uh, got a lot of other stuff. People are uh, been a buzz while I've been gone. The fiscal cliff, Jack. The fiscal cliff, and we'll we'll lead the show off with the fiscal cliff that wasn't. The next thing that I've heard so much about the Feinstein firearms bill, folks. That bill's dangerous, but it ain't for the reason you think it is. Um, I'll tell you about that in the second part of today's show. We'll go into that blackout stuff, and then I'll have some more stuff from you guys from your feedback. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, KnifeKits.com. You know, we're really making a big push with 13 skills in uh, 2013, with 13 and 13 Challenge. A great skill to take up, knife making. Now, let's say you've already made some kit knives, and you want to, like, take your skill to the next level. And I want you to say, you know, my new skills, I want to make a custom knife starting with raw materials. You get the coolest, best quality raw materials in the world at Knife Kits. But what if you're like, you know, I... Don't, I've never made a knife. I barely know how to sharpen one. I, I, I want to just make a knife, and I don't know where to start. Go get a book or a DVD, some handle material, and a kit over at Knife Kits. And, you know, if you could make a complex, you know, glue-together model when you were a kid in high school, you have more than enough skill to be able to make a decent knife with some hand tools and a little bit of gained knowledge. So check them out today at knifekits.com. Next up today, Sawtooth Tactical, all the stuff you need for that tactical lifestyle. Uh, they're located in the Sawtooth Wilderness of Idaho. That's where the Sawtooth and Sawtack comes from. And they have everything you could possibly want from the tactical side of things. Magpul magazines, Maxpeditions bags, SOE tactical gear, the big, manly, awesome titanium spork, and everything else you can think of. They're also veteran-owned and veteran-operated, so you know you're going to get taken care of by people that know how to do a job and do it right. Because it's not just a job to someone that's served, it's a mission. That's how they handle their customer service. Your satisfaction, you getting what you ordered on time, isn't a job to them, it's a mission. Check them out today, SawtoothTactical.com. I also mentioned 13 Skills there. Get on over. We set a goal. We wanted to hit 5,000 members at 13 Skills in, you know, before it launched, which was officially yesterday, uh, on the 1st of January, we had 4,000. You know, that's, that's really not a bad deal there. In fact, as of this morning, 4,040 members, uh, 41,825 goals set at 13 skills. Please come on over and join us. Let's get that site ramped up to 5,000 members as soon as possible. Those of you who have been waiting for the new year to be here to set your goals for 2013, it's here. Come on over to 13 Skills, set your goals, set up your profile, because by the end of the week I'll be announcing a really cool 
um, program or a, a contest that for uh, for members of 13 Skills and some really cool giveaways. So get over there and get yourself set up now so you're ready to uh, to go for it when we announce the new contest that's coming. Also consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You help support the show at 20 cents an episode, and you get a 100% plus return of investment if you buy any of the things in the preparedness, gardening, self-sufficiency industry. We have so many discounts in there that if you don't get your membership to pay for yourself, uh, you're, not, you're not buying anything. Plus, you get over $150 worth of free ebooks on day one. Plus, you get some exclusive content from me that's not available anywhere else. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. I want to keep the housekeeping brief because we have so much important stuff to cover today. Um, let's start out with a fiscal quick cliff that, uh, that, that never mattered and the nonsense that's coming next. Uh, there's all kinds of buzz out today from small government Republicans. And remember, I'm a small government libertarian, so they're, it's not like I'm putting them down for that viewpoint or anything. Um, but how the Republican Party sold us out. They didn't stand their ground, yada, yada. And there's not enough spending cuts in the bill. And let me explain something to you. The Republicans were screwed here. Let me say it again. The Republicans were screwed here. Let me say it one more time just so everybody can understand. The Republicans were screwed here. There, there was nothing that was going to happen vastly different from what did happen. There's no way the standing Congress was going to let this go to the newly elected Congress through the end of the year. There's no way they were going to do that to themselves. There's no way that any of the mainstream candidates that still make up the majority on both sides of the aisle were going to say, you know what, we're not going to increase taxes on people making $400,000 a year. No, we're going to increase taxes on everybody, which I know they did it on everybody. We'll get to that in a second, but I'm talking about income tax. I'm talking about income tax because... When you get, you know, originally it was this 200,000 number that Obama had, which when you start looking at couples with 200, $250,000 and people that live in places like New York City and Los Angeles and all, you're not really looking at rich people there. But when you move into the $400,000 in income, let me explain something about income too. Income is after all the deductions. So that's after, you know, you've, you've leased your car to yourself and claimed it as a deduction. That's after you've, you've come up with every deduction you can. That's your adjusted gross income, right? That's your, your standardized deductions, your itemized deductions, your, your Schedule C deductions if you're a business owner. And most people with that kind of money are. Um, so you're talking about people that actually have a significantly higher income because a lot of the, what we can do with tax deductions aren't really direct expenses against our income, okay, especially with the tax code as it is, and if you have a good CPA and you know how to work it. So there was no way that you were going to have people that had to stand in competitive districts at all, even competitive in the primaries with their own party, say, you know what, I, I, I'm just going to let everybody's taxes go up. So they were going to fold, all right? Spending cuts don't matter. I'll tell you why in a second, because the spending cuts are part of the sequester that's coming next about two months out. And all this did, this didn't get rid of the sequester. It extended it for 60 days to line up with something else. So here's what the fiscal cliff was. It was nothing. It was nothing. It was nothing. It was nothing. And it never was anything. And you were told for about three months that it was the most important thing in your life. And it never was. It was never going to be. And there was never going to be anything different happen Then what happened? And why can I say that now with such assertion? 
Because I told you that three months ago when they started this crap. I told you this is exactly what would happen. And those of you that are always going, Jack, but you don't know, maybe you're going to start to figure out. When it comes to stuff like this, I do know. And I'll tell you why. I'm not smart. I am not that smart a guy. I don't have an insider telling me what's going on. I just can read and interpret facts. I can look at history, and I can see where this nation's going. Right down the crapper. Okay? And this is, the, this is exactly the way this was going to play out. This was the people that were going to sell out on the cuts getting cover fire. It's very important that you listen to and absorb that now, because when I get to the next segment, when we talk about the Feinstein firearms legislation, you're going to see the whole picture much better if you do, and maybe we can do something about what they're really going to try to do, because it ain't going to be that. I'll leave it till then. Now, here's the bigger issue that we have. The next round of this is much more critical, and there's much more bargaining power on both sides. If they play it right, now I'm going to tell you how the Republicans can play this right, so when they don't, you'll know that they're smarter than me, and they could have, and they didn't want to. And they were just using the cover fire that they're going to get over this to sell you out in the future. So here's the deal. The problem that we have now is that the sequester and the debt ceiling deadline, which is also bullshit, have been set at the exact same time or so close to each other it might as well be the same second. Okay, What that means is now you have a situation where if we don't do something about the sequester, and frankly here's what I think we should do about the sequester, nothing. I think we should let it kick in and let it do what it's supposed to do, which is actually cut government spending. Isn't that what we say we want? The sequester, for those that don't know, in all but mandatory spending, will cut every department of government by a whopping 10%. Immediately. It just happened. It's already been done. It's like the deadline for the taxes to go up. Okay? So... That's one thing that's in motion. The other thing that's in motion, though, is the country needs to borrow more money because we're not going to have enough money to pay our existing obligations unless we borrow more money. And it doesn't matter if we get it from China or we get it from England or we get it from Japan or we get it from a little old lady that buys a bond or we get it from Uncle Ben Bernanke who just says, you know what, let's dole out some more money, right, through quantitative easing or whatever. Anything that creates debt, including loaning it to, you know, what they call loaning it to yourself, the Fed loaning it to us, requires that Congress raise the debt ceiling. Now, here's the thing about the debt ceiling. Those of you that say, we are not good, we don't want to raise the debt ceiling, they're going to raise the debt ceiling. Just like I told you over a year ago when they set this whole thing in motion, I put out a video on YouTube. I said, they're going to raise the debt ceiling. I told you why. I told you how. And, and, and it came out that way. So trust me again, they're going to raise the debt ceiling. Now, you have to ask yourself, with a little Jeopardy music playing in the background, folks, why in the hell they would want to set the sequester to expire at the same time as the debt ceiling? Why not punt the sequester out 90 days? Well, the Republicans wouldn't want that because then we're going to debate that 90 days from now and then we can't make it part of the negotiations with the spending cuts. Horse crap. Horse crap. Total lies. Total BS. Total horse crap. Get this through your head. If they did that, if they said, you know what, let's just punt this thing 90 days. The Democrats would have never wanted to go for it, but they probably could have got it done. Here's what would happen. You'd have the debt ceiling debate. Fine, let's raise the debt ceiling. No problem. Because you're going to do it anyway. Because the system requires the debt to expand. 
The debt ceiling is a lie. It's a phantom. It's nonsense. You're never going to have a point where Congress doesn't raise it. The day you don't raise it in the current system, until you fix the current system, we begin defaulting on our debt, which makes us grease overnight, which is what everybody that wants to not raise it is trying to avoid. So it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. If we did that, though, then you say, well, we got all this money for spending now. What about the cuts? Fine. Then all the Republicans have to do is say, either come to us with meaningful cuts lined out, Or sequester kicks in, we're not playing ball. That was it. That's how this could have been played. Now we got a totally different situation here. We're going to come to a point where you got to raise the debt ceiling. And don't you know, they're going to say, well, we got to have a bipartisan approach to this, and we got the sequester issue, and they're not going to try to do the problem separately. They're going to shove them into one bill. All the meaningful cuts that would have been in the sequester will go away. Some tantamount crap will come back on the table. They'll tell you they've compromised. Everybody will sell everybody out. The Democrats will sell out their constituency. The Republicans will sell out their constituency. And America, you will continue to fight with your neighbor, the Democrat or the Republican, and claim that they're the problem when your leaders screw both of you equally. That's what's going to happen. And here's how you could avoid it. All the Republicans have to do is say, here's a piece of legislation right now that raises the debt ceiling. Here it is. Raises the debt ceiling. It doesn't do, it doesn't require anything or anybody to do anything else except raise the number. It raises the number and it funds the government through 2013 fully until next year. Here it is. You can have it. That's it. That's all they have to do. Why? Because now the Democrats are sitting there looking at it. Well, we gotta do this. Okay, let's do it. But we have to. Okay, let's do it. But we need some, we don't need anything else. Let's just raise it. Let's just make sure we can pay for the nation's obligations. Let's, and people are going, Jack, you're telling us to raise the debt. Yes, because we're going. See, this is where your mind just locks up and it won't function. We're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. God, will you get that through your head? Those of you out there, no, no, you're, you're just, you're not an idiot, but you're behaving like an idiot when you do this. Okay? Let me explain it to you. The interest on the debt in this year is going to be. $400 billion. 40% of a trillion on interest to service the debt alone. Okay? Then you got Social Security. Then you got Medicare. Those are mandatory spending programs. When you put those together, you have so much money that you can't fund the government for those three things without raising the debt ceiling because the system is designed to create perpetual debt and perpetual growth of debt. If you want to stop raising the debt ceiling, you have to change the system and no amount of holding your breath or insisting it's not true will change that. So they're going to do it. So you throw it out and you say, here you go. And then you say, let's talk about sequester separately, ass clowns. But they won't do it. And do you know why they won't do it? Because they don't want to actually get what they're claiming done, done. Now, there's probably a handful of those guys on both sides of the aisle that really do mean what they say. But the mainstream group, the majority, will always come together in a bipartisan manner to screw both sides equally. And it's all about cover fire. Now, here's the big thing that's going around about how 77% of Americans will see their taxes increase. Under the deal, the fiscal cliff deal, and how it's such a raw deal because of that. Okay, and, and, and Obama screwed you by doing this. God, I don't like to say anything good about Barack Obama. I really don't. I don't like to say anything remotely positive. I think he's one of the worst presidents 
that we've ever had. I think he'll go down in history as one of the worst presidents that we've ever had. I think that his steps toward uh, totalitarianism are even worse than those that were instituted by George W. Bush. Um, I, but I'm also not a dishonest man. The increase in your taxes that's going to hit 77% of Americans has to do with their calling the payroll tax. Have you noticed that? They, see, this is the thing. The ass clowns of the media, they like to change things, right? So now they're going to change it to the payroll tax. Do you know what the payroll tax is? It's not a payroll tax. It's Social Security taxes. You know the big fund that's going broke? The giant monstrosity for retirement for our Americans that we have to save? Yeah, Barack Obama cut it. Yeah, Obama cut the payroll tax. This was just letting that cut expire. So there's no raise in the payroll tax. It's a return to a previous level that was always designed to be temporary, never designed to be permanent. You can't, you, you gotta, if something going broke, you're gonna cut it. And unlike many other taxes, when you increase Social Security tax, you, you flat out will increase revenue because it's on income, and it's on income up to a point. And it's matched by employers. And employers have to have employees. I'm not saying this is good or it's a great thing because I think Social Security should just go away and be replaced with private savings. Okay? Right? But if you're going to run that system and it's already going bankrupt, you can't cut the input and expect it to last as long as it was going to before you cut it. So I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying it's not what it's being presented as. It's not somebody jack up your taxes uh, with, with this, it's the, the taxes you, you paid all the way since Ronald Reagan left office in 1988, all the way up until Barack Obama took office with the payroll tax, Social Security tax, is returning to the level it was from 1988 until Barack Obama took over. That's the truth. That's what no one will tell you. And that's what, and, and it's why they're calling it the payroll tax. Now, you think the, the liberal media would want to make the case to you that I just made to you. Hey, look, this is what's really going on. This is where it came from. This is how long it's been that high. This is who put it there. It was Reagan. He's, he saved Social Security. We're just putting it back where it was. No. They won't make that case to you because they don't want you to actually figure any of this out. They want you to stay in the dark while you get screwed from behind by both sides. And they want all of this political theater to be played out like three months of the fiscal cliff that never was. And what did I tell you three months ago? There is no fiscal cliff. And there never was. And if they didn't do this deal, do you know what would have happened? If they didn't do this deal, we would have cut government spending by 10% across the board and income taxes would have went up for people making about $150,000 and higher. That's all that would have happened. Now, do I want the taxes to go up? No. But do I want the government spending to be cut across the board? Yes. Now what happened? Neither one. And now that football has been punted 60 days out. And get ready for 60 days of loaded bullshit beyond what you've seen about the fiscal. This will be the greatest crisis our nation has ever seen, and yada, yada, yada. And it's all crap, and in the end, this is what's going to happen. They're going to gut the sequester. They're going to take away all the meaningful cuts. They'll cut some crap here and there and around the square. All of the cuts will not be meaningful cuts, meaning coming out of existing budgets. They'll be coming out of, ex of growth in spending planned. So they'll say, well, we're going to grow this department from $300 billion to $400 billion over five years, and now we'll just grow it from $300 billion to $350 billion. That's a $50 billion cut. That's what the, the sequester will get replaced with, and they will raise that ceiling. And that's what's going to happen, and there's nothing you can do about it because the current 
economic system requires that the debt ceiling be raised, and they're not going to cut government because no government ever cuts itself. So there you go. They don't cut themselves until they have to, and they're not up against the wall enough yet where they do. They haven't had their Greece moment. This isn't like Greece. It's not there yet. It's down the road a little bit. So there you go. That's where that is. Okay, now I want to move into uh, our next segment today. And, and I'm trying something different today, okay? Um, I am actually videotaping, like I did my, my comments about uh, the school shootings in Connecticut. I'm videotaping this segment of the show. For those of you watching the video that have never seen my podcast before, if you go to the Survival Podcast dot com and look up episode 1048 and I'll put a link in the video notes right down below the, the video screen here uh, of where you can find this exact episode. You can see the whole episode today. But what we're going to talk about now, and I'm going to try to do this more, unfortunately today with all the snow that went on home, I took all the video equipment home over the, uh, the, the break and when I came back to the office today I forgot that I didn't have my tripod and my mounts and everything so I've got my iPhone propped up on a box on the edge of my desk so we'll see how this comes out. Uh, but I'm going to try to do this more. I think this is a good idea to start reaching more of an audience on YouTube by just taking show segments and putting out, you know, 10-minute segments. So let, let's get on with the firearms legislation proposed by Diane Feinstein. This is a huge risk. Um, this is a massive, massive risk to us, but not for why you think. It's exactly like all the stuff I just talked about uh, with the debt ceiling and with the fiscal cliff that wasn't and all the other lies and something called cover fire. So let's look at what we've got here. The Feinstein legislation may be the most onerous gun control legislation ever proposed in our Congress by anybody ever. I mean, it is bad. It is basically making any weapon that can ever hold a magazine capable of holding more than 10 rounds classified as a assault weapon or let's say even a higher level This, it would be classified the same way a machine gun is today. You need a, a, a class two stamp or class three stamp to, to have it. $200 registration fee, register the weapon, that type of thing. That's, that's Glock handguns, right? Can a Glock hand, and it's not, you can keep your Glock, but you can only have a 10 round magazine. It's much worse than that. It's like, that Glock has no more. You can't make those and sell those to civilians. Glock would have to come up with a handgun that specifically can't take a magazine with more than 10 rounds. It can't be made to take a magazine with more than 10 rounds, which is very difficult. I guess you'd have to make it so that the, the, the magazine channel was so narrow that you could only single stack and then make the, uh, the receiving portion, and you could still build a magazine. So, I mean, this could ban everything. This would make over 120 firearms banned by name, including the AK-47 and the AR-15 and a ton of other uh, guns like that. It would prohibit manufacturers from coming up with new guns to get around the spirit. And it, it's awful. It would basically require every gun out there that isn't either a lever action or a revolver or a pump action shotgun or any kind of shotgun without an extended magazine, anything other than that would have to be registered. And to be sold from one person to another, it may not even be possible, or if it was, it'd be the same procedure for doing that with a machine gun today. And all manufacturer of those things would cease to the public. You know what chance this has of passing, even the Senate, if it was done the day after the Connecticut shootings, which they're using to tout this? Zero. None. No chance at all. Who is Diane Feinstein? Probably one of the most hated members of the liberal left. 
from California, the bastion of let's get rid of guns and all things that are even perceived to be moderately right wing and let's tax everybody into infinity. Let's bankrupt our, st- I mean, this is, this is the worst legislation ever. Sorry about shaking the camera there. Worst legislation ever from one of the biggest villains that we could ever have and has no chance of passing. Why would you do that? Let's talk about what we're doing in the pro-gun community first. Imagine you're a big trout, big old rainbow trout sitting in a stream. And you see this big juicy night crawler just floating down the stream towards you. Big orange collar on it, just a beautiful night crawler. And you're hungry. You had a few mayflies, but man, this is a steak. But the fisherman's an idiot. The fisherman has a great big huge hook, like something you'd use for a much larger fish stuck in that, in that, uh, in that worm. And it's not just a fish hook, it's like a brass fish hook. You can see it from, you can see it coming. It's got a big old bell sinker painted pink hanging on the line. And the line, instead of being a nice thin line for a trout, is a big thick line like you'd use for a tuna. I mean, it looks like kite string, right? And you can see, and it's red. And you can see it looks like a picture in a book of how to rig up a fishing line. And it's floating towards you. Well, the trout's not going to bite that. right? you got to be careful and finesse fish a trout. But we don't behave like a trout. We're going to take that thing hook, line, and sinker. You can see the hook in it. You just duck it. And you're going to eat it like an idiot. That's why everybody's flipping out. That's why there's a 100 videos about how terrible this is. That's why there's everybody's a buzz. And, oh, my God, they're going to come for our guns. Why would they do this? And if you don't understand why they would do this, then you don't realize how bad this really is. You're about to get the same pantomime bullcrap that you did with the freaking fiscal cliff. I'm going to give you one more analogy, and then I'll give you the end game. Imagine that you are a military unit. Off in the distance, there is a ridge. That ridge is heavily fortified with enemy soldiers. You're on another ridge, but you can't really see the enemy, and they can't really see you, but you both know where each other is. To get the enemy off of that hill, you've got to send some of your troops through the valley in between the two ridges to get them around the side of their hill and flank. You have to do that. Now, when they go out and do that, they're going to be vulnerable. So they're not going to want to go. You're going to be like, okay, you 12 guys run through that valley and go up the side. They're like, Sarge, you know what? We're going to die if we do that. And what do you do as a good sergeant? Don't worry, men, we'll lay down cover fire. And you have everybody come to stand to on that ridge. You figure out where the enemy probably is, and you just unleash hell. You unleash the machine guns, the, the, the grenade launchers, mortar fire. You just pound the hell out of that ridge. How many enemy do you think you're going to take out when you do that? One or two if you're lucky. You're not trying to actually take the ridge now. You're trying to make the enemy think you're trying to take the ridge, but the big thing you're trying to do is occupy them so your guys can sneak through and get the flank. And maybe you sneak through on two sides of the flank, and then you execute a pincher maneuver at the end, and you take out the enemy, but you had to lay the cover down, cover fire down to get the people that would cooperate with you in a different way other than a frontal assault on board and protect them long enough to get them there. This is the Feinstein legislation, folks. They're going to talk about this thing like it's got a real chance of passing, even though it doesn't. They're going to say that this is the most onerous thing in the world and we got to fight it. The NRA is going to send you things and say, send us money, we need to fight this. And what they're going to do is they're going to say, well, we can't have this. This is too much. But we we all agree that we, we have to do something. We have to do something. That's cover fire for your rhino Republicans 
that are open to fairly strict gun control, but not anywhere near this strict. And it's cover fire for your rural district Democrats that have always said they're for the Second Amendment, but not really, and they have a few artsy-fartsy types they have to appease to maintain control of their district. They need cover fire. They need you to believe that they had to compromise on something. So they bring this, this, this pig in that's so terrible that anything you put next to it won't be so bad. So what do I think that they'll try to do? I think they absolutely will try to ban high-capacity magazines again simply by saying that any magazine over 10 rounds will be just like the, pre, the, the assault weapons ban of the past. So they'll say, you know, if it, does, if it says made for military law enforcement use only on it, you can't have it and you can't make them that way anymore. And I don't want that done, and they'll probably get it done because it sounds reasonable to the – do you understand who they're trying to move here? You got your hardcore left and your hardcore right on this issue. And I don't even like calling them left and right. You got pro and anti-gun. The pro-gun crowd is very educated. They know, they know weapons. They know firearms. They know the truth and they know a lie. And they know all the lies that the left is throwing out. The hardcore anti-gunners, alright? These people are idiots about guns. They don't know anything about guns except guns scare them. Half of what they're telling is not a lie because you have to know you're lying for it to be a lie. It's just false. In the middle, you have the group of people you're competing for to pull to one side or another for support, popular support on a vote. There is a group of that people that's a slight majority that slides over to the pro-gun side right now. That's what's kept us out of this mess for so long. They intrinsically understand that guns are meant for defense. But they are not educated. There are people like a guy that used to work for me named Brad. I remember talking to him one day about the assault weapons ban when it was about to expire. And he was like, well, I got to believe there's something more powerful. I'm like, no. I can go out and buy a Remington 7400 right now with a 3006 that's semi-automatic and has more power than an AR and AK. Right? And he just couldn't get his head around. Well, then why would they ban that? These uneducated people that, that are your brothers... Your sisters, the meanwhile, that by and large support you, the other side's trying to court them with what they're going to call reasonable. Reasonable is going to be magazines, okay? And it's going to probably be some sort of, you know, well, let's classify certain weapons that are highly, uh, highly high capacity, high rate of fire, military like, is a, a middle class. It won't be a, a, a machine gun, a class three. It, it will be something like they'll come up with a name. They won't even use assault weapons because they learn their lesson. Or maybe they will because it's scary, but they'll come up with this class and they'll say, all you have to do if you want to be able to own these weapons is get a permit from the federal government. And if you already have them, you can register the ones you have and you can keep them. But if you want to be able to buy more, it'll be something like that. It'll be something like Connecticut already had and didn't do any good. That's, and I don't know exactly what it'll look like, but I'm telling you right now, what's coming down the pike very, very soon is going to be a counter proposal of reasonable gun control. That's the real fight. Don't you forget it and don't you fall for it. That wraps up the uh, video portion. If you, get, if you want to see the rest of this, cruise on over to the survivalpodcast.com and uh, we got a lot of other great topics to talk about today. And I'd like to ask you guys that are part of the regular listening audience to maybe if I can maybe put out one or two videos like this a week on YouTube that are just segments of the show, maybe these are better ways for you guys to share the show with people because we can pick a topic and we can I can ask you guys to tell me like you know on a, on a listener feedback show, give me some topics that you'd like me to cover for this use. And you can share 10 minutes of TSP versus an hour uh, in YouTube format as well. So, uh, But let's go on to some other stuff. 
Sticking with the proposed gun legislation, um, let, let's talk a little bit before I talk about the effects of the, the uh, blizzard, the Arkansas blizzard uh, that we just experienced. Um, with this email that came in from a guy named John. John says, I love the show, but do a show on this. I'm just going to do a segment on this. Imagine that panic buying wasn't just guns but food. Um, so he says, I think you're, in case you're not aware, Americans think the gun ban is imminent. Panic buying took place this week. Basically, AR-15s now cost $2,000 to $2,500. 1,000 rounds of .223 ammo is $800. PMAGs are $50 a piece. Gun shops are completely sold out. Factories cannot supply the demand. Love the show, John. Um, this is actually a great topic. And it kind of melds in with what I'm going to talk about with what we experienced over the vacation, our vacation. I know a lot of you guys were working. I don't mean to say that in like a you know rub it in way or anything. I just I take that, that week off every year, actually a week and a half. And uh, spend it with family. But anyway, you know, imagine that you heard a rumor that we were going to be out of food by next month. That there were some severe restrict, uh, severe uh, problems in the food supply that were coming down the pike. And not stuff like, well, corn's going to be 20% higher. Like, you know, like flat out. There was a, a general belief that... Um, store shelves would be largely empty and you wouldn't be able to get many staple goods in just 60 days. Why? I, I don't care why. It, it doesn't matter why. Why is not important. It, it's, you know, why are people afraid that the assault weapons ban is coming? It doesn't matter that it's the Connecticut school shooting, um, that, that kind of is the precipitous that, that's going to be used and the impetus being used to try to force it down our throats. It's just that made it real for you. That made it, hey, they might actually be able to get this done. And, and look at what's happening. And I'm telling you, the magazine issue ain't no joke. Um, you, it's, it's almost impossible to find some high-cap mags. Now, I got a couple 20-round P-mags. I had some 30-round mags ordered. The, the orders were canceled. I picked up some uh, some high-capacity SIG 226 mags for my SIG and for my uh, my uh, Caltech Sub-2K. Um, you know, just because, hey, this might be the last last of it that you can get for a while. It depends on how long it takes them to get this legislation through and how long the panicked buying continues. And it, it could be for a very long time. And uh, the manufacturers, trust me, they don't want to turn your orders down. Um, they want to make this stuff and get it out the door as soon as possible. But they just can't keep up with demand. Well, what would that be like? What would that be like if this was food people were worried about? Or electricity. Or anything. Look around today and try to buy some of the stuff that you took for granted 30 days ago. Remember what I've been telling you? Stock up on ammo. Stock up on ammo. Stock up on ammo. Stock. been telling you that for four and a half years. And a lot of folks go, hey, I need to buy some more of that someday. But And, and it's, I'm not picking on you because we all have to make decisions, right? We all can't buy everything all the time. It's not possible. We, we, you have to make, what am I going to prioritize to stock up on? But, you know, what was 100 rounds or 200 rounds or 1,000 rounds of 223 ammo going to cost you in, I don't know, November 15th, 30, 60 days ago? Well, what does it cost now? P-Mags, 30-round P-Mags. I was buying them for 13, 14 bucks. And I got a bunch of them. Right, I mean that's something that like I was so cheap. I'm like every once in a while I just order some from somebody just to throw, just, you know, throw, order them from Sawtooth Tactical, order them from one of the sponsors, order them from some other small gun concern just to keep you know give them some business. That's something we need anyway. You go to a gun show, they got them sitting there three you know for 
40 bucks or something like that. Yeah, but I'll buy some from you, buddy. No problem, you know. Look for the guy that's got the non-busy table selling magazines and picks them up. USGI 30-round mags, the steel ones, you know, $9, $8, 7 bucks. Try to get them now. And I just want you to think about this and ask yourself, what if it was something more universal? When we're in the gun community, we think they think that like most people are like us. They're not. But everybody eats. Everybody drinks water. Everybody needs energy. So think about that as I tell you what happened in Arkansas while we were, uh, while we were away. So my son flew in, uh, on the, on the 23rd, the day before Christmas Eve. And he was only going to be here Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and fly home the 26th. So I was going to make a turkey because he loves turkey. And two people in a turkey is the definition of eternity. So I wanted three people on that turkey for two days, not one. So I decided um, to make the turkey on the 24th instead of the 25th, which was a very good decision in the end. Um, because that way we had something to eat while we were on you know, generator power and not trying to run everything at the same time and what have you. Um, so we did that. And then they were forecasting snow. And this is what we were told. You get a little bit of an icy mix for a while, and it'll switch over to snow, and we're expecting accumulations of uh, one to four inches. No big deal. Nobody panicked around here. This is, this is not like when it snows in Florida or, or Texas where everybody freaks out. You listen to the weather forecast, you're like, ah, we could deal with that. Yeah, here's what happened. We got like two and a half inches of ice, and after the ice, we got like... Anywhere between a foot to 14 inches of snow on top of the ice. So what happens when you get a big coating of ice on trees, especially like southern yellow pine that are not trees that are genetically adapted to heavy snow regions? You get that ice on there, it's already likely to come down. And then you get a foot of snow on top of it. The snow sticks to the ice. And it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And down they come. And we have trees around here down that you could not, a grown man... Could not put your arms around. That's what and little trees and branches. I mean, but whole trees came down. And guess what? Those big trees that came down, very few of them snapped. They uprooted. In this area, there's so much. If you've seen you know videos of my place, there's so much rock. Most areas have a foot to eight inches of soil, if that. And that's even very rocky. But after you're down below that, you're hitting slabs of granite, slabs of quartz, like you know what have you. Well, a huge tree will put out a big flat root system in that environment, and it'll find any crack it can find to shove a root into, and it'll anchor itself pretty well. But if it's not below freezing, and it just went below freezing, so just a few inches under the ground, it's wet and soggy, not solid ice. And you get a couple tons of ice and snow on a tree that's rooted that way, guess what happens? Down she goes. So about 2 o'clock on Christmas Eve... The power flickers, comes back, flickers, and comes back. And I'm like, go fill the bathtub. We're going to need water, and I don't want to hook up the, 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 the well. It's too much of a pain in the ass. It's going to go out. And so we did, and everybody's like, well, maybe it won't go out. It went out, and it came back on. And it I'm like, it's that's just the pre-show. And then boom, it goes out. And I'm like, that's it. It's not coming back on. Out I go. I already had the cords run for the generator. Ran the cord out to the shed, fire the generator up, crack the door so I don't, you know, fill the whole shed up with CO2, and up came the generator. In went the wood into the fireplace. On goes the big buddy propane heater. Well, not right away, but later in the evening. 
And uh, we just kind of basically hung out for two days. And by the third day, the streets were open enough that we could go out. And uh, on the 26th, we called the airport and we weren't going anywhere. So the 27th, we rescheduled a flight for. And so the 27th, we actually kind of go out. And until then, we just stayed home. We had a great time. Folks, we were in the middle of one of the biggest blackouts this area has ever seen. And my Christmas lights were on. I mean, I just didn't care through this whole thing. Um, the neighbor stopped and asked if he want, we wanted some gas. I gave him a couple of gas cans he brought back for me because he went out because he needed to go out uh, on the 26th. And there were a few places open you could get gas. And, and, you know, I'm like, well, if you're going anyway, here's some money and fill my two cans. But that was just something I didn't have to do. I didn't need gas, so much gas. And I'm like, if he needs more, I'll just give him mine, you know. Because um, he's running two generators for two houses and all. And yet he needs to go get gas. And um, So <laughs> we go out on the 27th. We get to the airport. And uh, they're like, yeah, no. And tomorrow is probably, yeah, no, too. Because this is not like your big international airport with 727s and 747s and 777s and all that. This is a little-ass airport. And the planes that fly out of there look like minivans with wings, right? You know, you're talking... The biggest planes that you see come in and out of there with passengers on them hold like, you know, 12 people. Maybe 18. I think they have a couple of Fokers that come in that hold like 18, 19 people. So they don't have the instrumentation also. They have like not just the typical problems, but certain visibility requirements and all with all the buildings and stuff and being able to get in and out. So, um, but there ends up being this group of people there. And, uh, this guy says, Hey, if you were, you're going to Love Field in Dallas. And my son's like, Yeah. He goes, We're renting a car. So this, this, this other kid, he was about 21, my kid's 23, and this older lady that was like in her 50s, they split the rental on a car, and they drove home, because it, the weather wasn't that bad by then. It was just a visibility issue for the aircraft. So that was a good example of community instantly forming and looking out after each other. And I'm a pretty good judge of character, and this young man seemed all right. I know my son's solid. And, you know, I felt like this was probably a good thing for this older lady to have two young guys that seem like decent kids looking out for and making sure that you got the car returned at night at Love Field and from the rental place over to her car and all. And that's what happened. So that's how it worked out for us. So the, the big event for me was nothing. And that's why we prep. If anybody could ask me why we prep. Now, I've got some after stories for you that are kind of cool. So First, when we went out to take him to the airport, we well, let's go to some stores and see what happened, right? So we, we went to Lowe's and no generators. There wasn't a generator on the shelf. And you know, the little one-pound propane cans, gone. Out of sight, nowhere. Tractor supply, same thing. There was one generator left. It was a little 2K uh, inverter generator like the Hondas that Steve Harris recommends, but it was made by Generac. And it was a very expensive generator, and that's why I think it was still there. What was also wiped out, again, the one-pound propane cans. But this was, I found, very amusing. Tons of the small space heaters. People bought the hell out of them. You could tell the whole place had been ransacked. There's like three space heaters left. So I started looking at what's left and the information on them, and most of these heaters are like 1,500-watt heaters. And the generators that Tractor Supply had in massive supply... Massive, massive supply just a couple weeks ago. Remember what I said? What if it wasn't guns? What if it was food? What if it was energy? There were ton they had to have 50 of them stacked up. They're the little cheapo 1800 watt ones they sell for like hunting and stuff like that. Portable ones you can pick up and throw in the back of your truck. 
Okay, 1800 watt generator, 1500 watt heater. Those are the two things most purchased. Fortunately, I think you can turn most of those 1500 watt heaters down to where they're drawing like 600 or 900 watts, and maybe they'll heat a closet or something for you. But I wonder how many people bought a 1500 watt space heater and an 1800 watt generator. Another thing that was in short supply, gas cans. Gas cans were wiped out because everybody that bought a generator bought a couple gas cans. At least most people did. Batteries were wiped almost out. There were still batteries, but not a lot of them, but there were still some batteries. Um, there were abundant amounts of rechargeable batteries. So those folks don't listen to Stephen Harris very much, I would guess. The Tracker Supply Place has a giant, huge propane tank where they can refill your small tanks. And the guy said they still had some, but it was low. So that's where they were hit hardest was heaters, generators, gas cans, batteries. Um, if you went to the grocery stores by that day, they had been mostly resupplied already. The, the, the weather event was more electricity than access. Within two days, the roads were decent enough that the tr supply trucks could get in again. And most of these stores had deliveries. But I talked to some of the store people. They said, you weren't getting a loaf of bread here uh, yesterday. You, there was none. It was gone. We missed it. We were at home eating turkey and stuffing and gravy. Uh, and breaking paleo fast for the holidays like we also always do around the holidays. So um, we didn't get to see it, but we were told it was there. What was in supply at Kroger's, and I went to a second one just to see, were the one-pound propane cans that weren't available. Any Walmart was wiped out, right? Both Walmarts were. I called one just to see because I didn't feel like going there. I just wanted to know what, you know, just like after-action review stuff here. Wiped out. Couldn't get a one-pound pro one propane can to save your life. Because this is such a heavy hunting and fishing area, tons of people have the small, big buddies, little buddies, propane heat, all different kind of propane heaters. Well, they run, they're designed to run mostly on those little cans, so that's what everybody ran out and bought. And everybody ran out and filled up their five-pound tanks. Now, the tractor supply never ran out of that, but he said, we're, we're close. And if, if things weren't better today and a lot of people weren't back on and we didn't have a truck coming in today, we would run out. So they were close to running out, and they got a big-ass tank of propane. Um, so those were the things of pressure. But the one-pound propane tanks at Kroger's, where you go to get, like, the fire logs and stuff like that, and all that stuff was wiped out from the big box stores, but the grocery store, I guess nobody thought, hey, maybe they have fire logs for the fireplace. Maybe they have fire starters for the fireplace. Maybe they have oil for the lamps. So that was like this little oasis. And they didn't have a ton. And that was what was actually amazing, that they weren't sold out, because they had, like, one row of them going by the shelf. So I think I counted ten. And they were fronted to the front, so they were a full stocked row of these things. Actually, there was 20 of them because there were two of them side by side going 10 back. They had them. They had boxes of the fire logs. So people didn't go to Kroger's for that. They went to these other places where they would expect this, and they went to Kroger's for food. So if you're ever in need... That might be a strategy to look when things start to dry up elsewhere to places that also sell that stuff but as a secondary item. Even though they stock a lot less, maybe there's less pressure there. Now, the most telling thing was on Saturday. Saturday, I'm like, hey, honey, don't. She was going to make toast or something for breakfast. We had the coffee going. She was on the phone with her sister, and I just said, don't. 
And she looked at me like, oh, what are you telling me don't like that for, you know, like, because it never goes over well. But I'm like, don't eat, you know. And I was trying to just not to talk. I wasn't being mean. I was trying not to talk much because I don't want to interrupt her talking to her sister on the phone. She goes, okay. So when she gets on the phone, I said, let's go to Cracker Barrel. We've been, you know, holed up other than our trip for Matthew and to observe. Let's, let's go to Cracker Barrel and eat some bacon and some eggs and some sausage, you know. We get back on the paleo thing. We'll go heavy with the meat and the eggs, you know. And she's like, well, I want the toast or whatever. I'm like, you do what you want. I'm going to go throw down with some, 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 some eggs and bacon and sausage and be waited on and have somebody bring me hot coffee and you know maybe we'll go look at some other things so we uh, we go down there and the whole place is jammed way more jammed than usually at this time on a Saturday um, usually their big time is you know around lunchtime on Saturday and all day Sunday from the, the church crowd but what it is is everybody's going that can get out now is going anywhere where there's power because nobody's got their power back on yet So we're sitting there and we're listening to how cold everybody is, how long they've been without power. Our waitress tells us that they're finally in a hotel after four days. They couldn't take it anymore. She talked her husband into it. And her and her kids, her and her daughter and her husband and the, the two grandkids are all crammed in one little hotel room together because it's warm there. And how she, when she finally took a hot shower, she was in there so long, the grandkids were like, Nana, are you okay? Are you? She's like, Nana's fine. She just was loving the hot shower, which I can understand. But So you got two families moved in this little hotel room together. I guarantee that costs you more than some backup preparations. Here's the big lesson. This is not Houston or Dallas or Chicago or New York. This is Arkansas. This is hunting and fishing and camping and hiking ground zero. These people here are more prepared than the average American ever thought about being, even if they don't call themselves a prepper. And they got kicked in the ass by this thing. If this type of a storm hit Dallas, they got some snow and sleet and ice and all, but it was, it was what we were told we were getting. They got that instead of what they were told. And it, it melted the next day, right? They had fun. My my grandnieces were out making snow angels. That you know, they, that's what they were doing. Um, if if this type of an event hit Dallas, Texas, Fort Worth, Texas, it would have been a lot worse. Absolutely, a lot worse. But this type of power outage and thing, because um, I remember the ice storm a couple of years ago when my Steelers lost in the Super Bowl to the uh, Packers. We had a week where the whole town was frozen, but it was a light coating of ice, and it just got very, very cold, and we didn't lose a lot of power. And it was, that was people, you know, the only reason the shelves didn't get wiped off in a lot of stores was people just couldn't go. But there were people in pretty bad shape during that. Now, if you had coupled the power outage with sub-20 degree weather like we had during that storm down there, man, it, it would have been really bad. So there's a big lesson there. I got another update for you guys. I am not yet a new homeowner. I know I was supposed to go to Texas during all of this mess and close on the house. Well, as I talked about previously, we had an issue with the appraisal coming in under. We countered and gave them a little bit of money and said, basically, you got to meet us at the bottom because it sucks for you and this sucks, but selling to us sucks less than any other option. The buyer eventually conceded. They drug their feet. This happened right around the holidays. The loan was about to go through underwriting. And then when this hiccup came, the underwriter just basically said, I can't do anything with this now. So now it has to go through underwriting. So now we close on January 15th. So... Everything's good to go, but we had the closing pushed off, which I do believe in universal karma 
And probably with all this crap going on and needing the dogs to go into dog jail, so we call the it's not dog jail, it's a really great kennel we put them in. Spoiled dogs, um, honestly. But they had to go there, the cats would have had to go there, the power was out, uh, you were the refrigerator and deep freezer, how it, you know, I was thinking I could have the, 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 the neighbor come down, have everything plugged in with the refrigerator and deep freezer and say, you know, come down, When you're, when you're coming home from work, stop, fire the generator up, come back three or four hours later and shut it off and run it for a few hours a day until we get back, until the power comes back and, and we'll be fine. And that would have worked and they would have done it, but it just didn't seem so, so maybe it worked out. I'm just not real happy about it. And here's the bigger reason. The whole reason we scheduled the closing right after Christmas was because we knew we couldn't get down to the rest of the family for Christmas this year. And, uh, by doing that, We were there. We could hit it like right in the middle between Christmas and New Year's. Plus, we had the, the show shut down, right? So it was perfect to do that. Uh, so that got disrupted. So we didn't get to see the extended family for the holidays. So uh, I know that's not a big deal to you guys, but it's kind of a big deal to me, and I consider us friends. So that's kind of how that went. That's why that's pushed off. But I don't think it really changes things that much other than – Um, the week of the 15th, you may go without some shows a couple days or something like that. And the people that I have scheduled for interviews may need to get it rescheduled. And then we're going to have this whole thing with moving the business and all. But once that's done, we'll be rocking better than ever before. Let's move on to uh, another example of corporate idiocy uh, where a guy defended himself and you know was treated like crap by the company he works for for it. Here you go. This is like... You almost just go, really? I mean, come on. Do we live in, like, Insaneville or something like this? Pizza Hut demotes delivery man Sam Swicegood for defending himself against attackers. Protect yourself from attackers and receive a demotion. A pizza delivery man in Maryland who fought off a group of attackers was given just that. Sam Swicegood was demoted from his job at Pizza Hut after he defended himself from being beaten up. Swicegood described being sucker-punched, after which he defended himself by covering his face and swinging a small pole at them repeatedly. I thought I was about to die, he said. Pizza Hut cut his hours and his pay for violating their no-weapons policy. Tell us what you think by commenting below. It's on Fox News Insider. You can go there and comment. I'm not going to comment because I'm going to snap a freaking gasket. If I get too much into this one, um, all I can say is that this would be a great project for today. Call Pizza Hut and say, I'd like to order a pizza. And when they say, yes, sir, can I get your address and all? Say, yeah, but I just thought of something. I was going to order a pizza from you, but you guys demoted a guy for defending himself by when he was attacked delivering pizzas. And it sounds to me like you don't care about your delivery driver, so I'm going to call somebody else and order a pizza. Wouldn't it be cool if this week like 50,000 people did that? The Pizza Hut's all over the place. Whether you're going to order a pizza or not. I'm not calling for a boycott of Pizza Hut. I'm just saying like pizza's probably not the best thing for you. Anyway, maybe have an additional night where you eat you know, really good veggies and high-quality steak instead of ordering pizza from Pizza Hut. But... You know, it's a, this is another example now of a company that's done something so stupid that if I have the opportunity to do business with anybody but them, I'll do business with anybody but them. And maybe if we do that long enough, some of these companies will come to their senses. Um, but I'm hoping that maybe Papa John's gives this kid a job or something like that. I mean, you know, 
and this is this is the thing. How many movies have we seen where the pizza delivery guy, and I don't mean those movies with the funky music guys, okay? I'm talking about like 80s movies. Well, the pizza delivery guy is mocked, right? He's some poor jerk. and The pizza delivery is actually a decent way to make some extra money, but it's a dangerous job. You carry cash. People know you carry cash. It's easy to determine who you are and where you're going. Anybody can set you up by ordering a pizza anywhere. Um, you have to get out of your car, walk in the, you know, a lot of stuff's delivered after dark. Um, pizza delivery guys put their ass at risk. They should be able to defend themselves. No, this guy didn't have a gun. He swung a small pole, whatever the hell that was. It, you know, he's got it in his hand. I'm looking at it here. It looks like a small piece of conduit. It looks like a piece of like half inch conduit, uh, about a foot long. Now, did he pick this up off the ground or was he carrying it? I don't really care. But it violated Pizza Hut's weapons policy. So, here, bad guys across America, this is what you should know. If you'd like to mug someone who is absolutely prohibited from carrying any means of defense, Pizza Hut delivery guys, they're open season, right? They don't, they can't have, they, they, they can't have a gun. They can't have a stick of conduit to defend themselves with. I bet if this guy would have opened the pizza box and threw hot pizza in the guy's face, they would have said that he's getting demoted for damaging the pizza and hurting the assailant. God forbid we hurt the assailant. This country's headed to hell. Seriously, what the hell is wrong with us? A pizza hut guy defends himself with a piece of pipe when he's attacked by a bunch of thugs and he's punished for it. Dude, swice good? Quit your freaking job. Go get a job working for Papa John's or whoever else. So I don't, I don't order pizza. So I, I don't, I don't know who else delivers, but go get yourself another job somewhere. Don't work for these jerks. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not calling for wholesale all out, but if you, if you let Pizza Hut know that you don't want to buy any of their pizzas because they're ass clowns over this and that they should do something to make this right, I'd appreciate it. It doesn't have to be a big giant hoo ha, but, You know, are we going to draw the line in the sand somewhere? Are we going to? Is the average person going to say, you know what, that's too much? They're just we're just we've just gone too far, and, and you've gone past what I'm willing to tolerate. To me, this is one of those things. It doesn't seem like a huge deal. It won't affect the temperature of the water in your pool. It won't affect the balance of your 401k. But it's your fellow American who was attacked while doing his job, a job you've probably benefited from. At some point, most of us have ordered a pizza and had it delivered nice and piping hot fresh to our home to entertain guests during a football game or something. The people that do it are largely underappreciated. They work their ass off. They can make some decent money, but they have to deal with cheap asses that don't tip as well. Okay? You know? And, 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 and this guy is just out trying to earn a living and defends himself from an attack. Well, you should have just given them what they wanted. What they wanted was to beat his brains in. The first thing they did was hit him. That's the first thing they did was hit him. They didn't say, hey, give us your money. They hit him. That was, that was step one. Punch him in the face. Run up behind him and punch him in the face. Then get all your other guys and goons on top of him. And this guy says, hell no, I'm not going to go down. And I'm looking at this guy. He doesn't look like a tough guy. But he just said, you know what? I'm not going to go down. And he just started beating the crap out of him. And he drove him off. And Pizza Hut punishes him for it. Just keep that in mind the next time you need a pizza. That's all I'm saying. Uh, well, if, if, if you think that... This whole Pizza Hut thing sounds ridiculous. Where do you hear the next thing I've got for you? I want to play a, a quick video for you uh, that was put out by Tom Woods. And this was sent to me over the break as well. 
And uh, what this video is about is basically a a legislator in New Hampshire, which is you know the Free State, uh, the Free State Project has picked New Hampshire. Her name is Cynthia Chase, and she says that Free Staters are not welcome here. Libertarians are not welcome in the Live Free or Die State. And well, I'll let Tom explain it to you. And when you hear what her method of combating the fact that people that are for liberty want to move to New Hampshire is, it will give you a look into the mind of those that wish to govern their fellow men. What I've always said is, in general, unless called by a sense of duty, in, uh, with that sense being to oppose what's already happening, most people that go into government for power are people that should never have power because they want it. They want it. And only people that have no respect for the rights of others really want to control other people. Government exists as a necessary evil in a minimalist state so that people can have their liberties protected, not infringed upon. The problem is the government always seems to grow to the point where it itself becomes the infringer upon liberty. In other words, the, the purpose of government is not to tell you what you can and cannot do in your own life. It's to say that you have certain rights in your own life and that you can do whatever you want unless you infringe upon the rights of another. And they the same. And when one infringes on the other, that's the rule of government. Come and say, no, Tommy, you can't mess with Billy's cookies. They're Billy's cookies, not yours. Not to go to Billy and say, give me your cookies, Billy, and give them to Tom, which is the complete converse of what's going on. Where do you hear this woman's freaking solution? This woman's solution to the problem that is all these libertarians moving to New Hampshire. And uh, I'll be back after we hear from Mr. Woods. Hey everybody, it's Tom Woods, December 28, 2012. Well, I guess a lot of you probably already know about the Free State Project, freestateproject.org, which involves having a lot of liberty people move to New Hampshire so that with a critical mass of us there, the idea is, in the words of the Free State Project, we might be able to achieve liberty in our lifetime. Well, that's not how one state representative feels about the Free Staters. Cynthia Chase recently said that the Free Staters were the biggest threat that New Hampshire face. And you just have to hear her statement, because in effect what she's saying is the way to keep these people out of our state, these people who are seeking freedom, is for New Hampshire to have less freedom, and then they, maybe they won't want to come. You think I'm making this up? Here's what she says. There is legally nothing we can do to prevent them from moving here to take over the state, which is their openly stated goal. In this country, you can move anywhere you choose, and they have that same right. What we can do is to make the environment here so unwelcoming that some will choose not to come, and some may actually leave. One way is to pass measures that will restrict the freedoms that they think they will find here. Cheshire County is a welcoming community, but not to those whose stated goal is to move in enough ideologues to steal our state and our way of life. All right, let me translate that into English. So, in effect, she's saying this. Unfortunately, in this country, you can move anywhere you want, and too bad. There's nothing we can do about that. That's kind of a shame. However, what we can do about people who come here to seek freedom is just to try to diminish the freedoms that we have here, and then that'll show them. What are we going to do about these people who favor nonviolence in interpersonal relations, which is what the free staters believe. They're libertarians. They believe in nonviolence in interpersonal relations. What are we going to do about this dangerous threat? And then she goes on to say that we have a way of life here, 
These people want to interfere in our way of life. Our way of life consists of sticking a gun in your ribs and taking your stuff and then redistributing that stuff to powerful constituencies which in turn will vote for us and keep us in power and keep this system going. These are our sacred traditions. And anyone who opposes having a gun in his ribs or anybody else's ribs is some kind of ideologue we want to keep out. We in Cheshire County are very welcoming to all people who favor having a gun shoved in their ribs. All right, now I basically think we should support the Free State Project. I think it's a great idea. But now I, I'm doubly enthusiastic for it because now I feel like we have to do it just to drive this woman crazy. It's become an end in itself to me. All right, well, thanks everybody for listening. I'm going to be in New Hampshire in February of 2013. At the end of this video, I'll have a list of all the places I'm going to be in January and February. I hope I can see some of you guys there. And also sign up for my free e-letter because I give away books to people on that list. And I never sell the list. I don't charge you anything. It's just you get to hear me talk a couple of times a month, and you might win a free book. So that's over at woodsletter.com. Have a great 2013, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Uh, very well put. And I left a little promotional thing at the end of Tom's uh, video on there because if I'm going to use his content and he's got a promotional thing, I'll leave it on there. And I'll tell you, it probably is worth getting by his website. It's TomWoods.com, subscribing to his newsletter and learning more about him. Uh, I'm closing with this segment because it allows me to uh, kind of remind you guys. February 20, 21st through 24th, 2013, Crown Plaza, Nashua, New Hampshire. You can go there and Saturday night at the keynote dinner... You can uh, you can uh, listen to Mr. Woods speak, but if you go there, you also get to listen to me. I'm going to be doing a presentation called The Prepared Libertarian and two mini breakout sections on putting together a bug out bag, and a lot of other really great people will be at this event as well. And in spite of what you've heard by uh, this idiot, uh, what was your name again, Cynthia Chase, uh, the Free State Project people are a bunch of really awesome people and I'd love to see you there I also want to remind you we're running a contest actually Free State Project's running a contest the way it works is you pick any charity to donate $10 to you donate that money and you send them proof of the donation and they put you in a raffle there'll be three winners one winner, winner gets like a regular everyday ticket to Uh, to the to the Free State Project where you get into all the events and everything, and that's just a normal ticket like a normal person would would buy to be able to go to the event. But anyway, it gets you into the speeches and the meals and things like that. First place, you'll get the same type of a regular ticket that still includes passes to all the speeches and meals. And then Friday night at the Friday night dinner, you'll be able to have dinner with Dorothy and I. So you'll be at our table at the dinner. The grand prize is a VIP ticket to Liberty Forum. It includes passes to all the speeches and meals and some VIP perks. And the winner of the VIP ticket will get to sit with Dorothy and I at the Saturday night dinner when Tom Woods is speaking. So that will be really cool. And I don't, I can't guarantee this, but last year our table was like dead center in front of Peter Schiff. So, you know, we may have that type of a, of a thing again. I, I don't know. And I don't know if they're going to do that with the dinner or after the dinner, how exactly they're going to do that. But it was the Peter Schiff thing was really cool. We ended up with a whole bunch of uh, state reps from Maine that came down to learn more about libertarianism, which I thought was awesome. And obviously they're more open-minded people than the Cynthia Chase. I also close with this segment to point something out to you. Your government does not want liberty. Your government is the antithesis of liberty. If you want liberty, you're going to have to claim it. You're going to have to 
take it. You're going to have to stand up and you're going to have to say at some point, this is my line in the sand. I am not going to permit or lay quiet while anybody goes any further than this. And I ask you where your line in the sand is. Mine was crossed about 30 years ago. And I've been fighting in every way that I know how, in every way that I can since then. And I've really been fighting for the last four and a half years with the Survival Podcast. I feel like I've woken up a lot of Americans to this reality. And I want to close with a call to action on gun control legislation. I, I think this maybe is the most important thing that you can do if you really want to head off gun control legislation. I'd like every responsible firearms owner in the Survival Podcast community, especially if this is you, you own guns, you own ammo, you own guns that are the quote-unquote scary guns that are like the AR or something like that, um, you have access to a range that's well-run with a good safety officer, and you know the safety rules cold And you know how to take a new shooter and teach him those safety rules. I'd like everybody, there's probably 55,000 of us out there, 60,000 of us now, listen to this show. I would bet 20,000 of you are of the description I just gave. You own an AR and AK, you know the rules, all that good, good jazz. I want you to find in the next 30 days at least one person who's never shot before. I want you to say, you know what I'd like you to, and I don't want you to talk to them about politics. I don't want you to talk to him about politics. I don't want you to talk to him about politics. I want you to say, hey, you know what I'd love? I'd love if you'd come to the range with me and, and try shooting a gun. If they say no, ask another one. You can find people like this all over. There's millions of them. Many of them are somewhat supportive of what we want, but they're uneducated and they're easily swayed by scary-sounding words. I want you to take that person to the gun range. I want you to budget lots of time for this beyond the range time itself. I want you to sit down and say, look, we're going to the range. This is the rules at the range. You know, as far as being, you know, keeping the weapon clear, listening to the range officer, what the range officer will expect, how to communicate with other people at the range. I want you to tell them all that because that drives home a safety point. I want you to say, this is, you know, I'm happy to take you. This is completely safe, but this is how we keep it safe. I want you to have that conversation just like that and bring them on. I want you to bring no more than two guns, and the only reason I want two is maybe one's a 22 to let them shoot that first so that they don't get intimidated by the gun. I don't want you to put something in their hands with heavy recoil. Bring the AR-15, not the AR-10. You got it? Okay? I want the quote-unquote scary gun brought there, though. I want you to show them how it works. I want you to show them how it functions. I want you to have them put some rounds down range. I want you to have them put it down range with the little pop gun and with the quote-unquote scary gun. I want you to give them the empowered feeling of being able to look after themselves and other people and understand that there's nothing to fear in how the safety works. Okay? I'd like you to budget enough time to buy them lunch or a snack or something like that after you're there. I don't want you to stay for hours and hours and hours. Right? I want you to go, I want you to get it done, put a couple boxes down range, and go, and then sit down and say, hey, what was that like? What did you like? What did you not like? What did you think? Was it fun? And just have a normal conversation and talk about football, basketball, anything else that goes along, but have a little bit of a conversation about the gun. Budget enough time in this that well, after that, you go back to your house, disassemble the weapon, and clean it, and put it away. Okay? However you store it properly and safely. And do that with them. I don't want you to do a military-style cleaning. I don't want this, you know, like sergeant major inspections where you can put your finger up in the chamber and find no. I don't want it to because it's not going to be fun, right? It's going to be too – I just want basic 
Weapons maintenance to keep the weapons functional. Swab the bore, remove the bolt, that type of thing. Clean it, wipe it, put it away. And make them do that with you. Show them how. Show them how to take it apart. You pull the charging handle out. Here's the bolt carrier. Don't get into the big time disassembly. The basic way you would clean your weapon at the range if you just needed to make sure it keeps functioning till the end of the day. Okay? You do that. You put it away. You send them on their way. Don't talk to them about the NRA. Don't talk to them about the Second Amendment. Don't talk to them about a school shooting. Don't talk to them about self-defense. Don't talk much at all, except we're going. Here's how you stay safe. Here's what you do. If they want to tell you their views on that, listen. Use words like, tell me more. Why do you think that? That's interesting. Do that. You'll like it. Do it again. Tell all of your gun-owning friends to do the same thing. Have a challenge with each other. Who can take the most new shooters out to an experience like that in the next 90 days? Bet money on it. Run it like a football pool. I don't care what you do. Do it. I dare you. You want to fight this. You do it with education. And when somebody says, oh, they're, they're dangerous, the guy goes, well, I went to the range and there was all these guys with, and they didn't look dangerous to me. And the biggest thing that I heard about over and over and over again was, was safety. And, and I shot one and that doesn't make me a bad guy. And it was kind of fun. And I'm actually thinking about getting one now. Now you're telling me I can't. There's how you win this fight. I've been telling you this over and over again for years. Okay. You can, you gotta fight this. In a different way than you've been conditioned to. Just like I said when I covered the segment on the Feinstein legislation. It's a big old worm on a big old brass hook with a giant pink sinker on a giant red piece of kite string floating down the stream. And you people are inhaling the worm. And then you're going to feel like, well, at least they let me go. It was catch and release. When you get a less onerous gun law passed. That's the whole plan. You can't say you don't know because now I've told you. And if you look at it critically and think about it, you're going to go, that that makes sense. This thing's not getting through. But a watered-down version of it might be able to get through under the, the, the reasonable argument. If you continue to just simply tell people the truth about guns and not actually show them the truth about guns, you won't get anywhere. They won't listen to you. Because the other side has a bigger advertising budget. It's called the entire media. Even Fox News is selling. How many of you guys have watched Fox News as of late and gone, what? What? You guys are supposed to be the, 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 the bastion of the right. And you guys are parroting this crap now. What? And there's been some, some, you know, positive argument, but they're, they're, this is a pantomime. Okay? The same arguments. Assault weapons are no different than sporting weapons. They're just semi-automatic weapons like other semi-automatic weapons. High-capacity magazines are not the danger. People, I mean, you, 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 how long have we been saying this to people? How many people are listening? The people that don't shoot don't know. And you'll be amazed by the level of ignorance. My son had a friend. His mom was told, guns are dangerous, that type of thing. I, you know, he wanted to go to the gun range with us. I'm like, you gotta talk to your mom. I'll talk to your mom. I'm not doing it without you. And he was, after we were shooting, afraid that picking the brass up would burn him. Not immediately, but like for a long time. 
It was not a dumb kid, really. And then when he like came in one day and I was reloading ammunition, he was afraid that gunpowder would be hot if you touched it. It would burn you, like acid or something, right? Where do you, where does guy get? This I'm not talking about like a seven year old either. This kid was like twelve or something, fourteen, somewhere in that range. Where do you come up with ideas like that from, from parents? Either for the intent or the ignorance of scaring the child. And, and and again, this this guy that used to work for me as a salesperson, the, you know, when I when I was talking about the assault weapons ban expiring, go, which still does expire, it's not doing any good, you know. He's like, well, I have to believe there's something more powerful. It's nothing more. What? what where does the power? See, and that's the thing. You can't explain this to a person with words. You have to take them so that they can see, feel, and do for themselves, and you have to empower them. So let's do it. Let's all take a commitment that this year we're going to take some people, each of us, take some people, and don't take three, and don't take them out with a bunch of your buddies. Two people, one-on-one, going to go to the range, we're going to shoot, we're going to be safe, we're going to go have lunch, we're going to talk about it, we're going to go home, we're going to clean them, we're going to put them away, and we're going to redo it again. And if there's any talk about buying a gun, Second Amendment, anything like that, It's going to come from the person you're taking, not from you. You're just going to talk about safety, the guns themselves, and, 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 you know, the playoffs. You're just going to make it a fun experience. You want to fight this. That's how you fight this. We will not win if we play the game the way we've been playing and losing for the last hundred years. They won't get everything they want, but they'll get a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And there are people in government that are ignorant enough to believe if people like where we're at and they want to come to where we are because it's free here and we don't want what they want, let's take away those freedoms of ourselves and our own people to keep them out. That's the mindset you're dealing with. That's the mindset you're dealing with, and they have the entire media on their side. If they didn't, you wouldn't see images with a guy shooting a gun going on the TV when they're talking about an assault weapons ban, since we all know that has nothing to do with an assault weapons ban. Nothing at all. But the people you're going to need to reach to win this fight don't know that. And you can't just explain it to them with words. You have to give them the experience. This is this is why I'm down on the NRA lately. First, they're all in on Romney. He would be doing the same crap right now. Trust me. He'd be all over this. As a gun hater in a suit, is a gun hater in a suit. But this is what they should be telling you to do. Writing your reps is a good idea. Fight this Feinstein thing. Let them know right away. You, you do this, you're dead meat. Right? In no way you'll be in government ever again in this district. Especially those of you guys that are, have the districts that can make that happen. But you got to win over the middle. The people that aren't opposed to you but don't understand. Give them the experience. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are 
Nobody up there cares. 